As today I'll be reading for you out of John chapter 1, and I will be reading verses um, 1 through 14, though focusing on the sermon and preaching on verses 1 through 5. Hear now the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is a magnificent word. This is a magnificent proclamation This has mesmerized your people for two millennia. millennia. 2,000 years your people have pondered upon this and, and have even debated and fought against each other and what it means. But Father, inside of this is great hope for us that your son, Jesus Christ, who became flesh, who was born and placed in a manger 2,000 years ago, is your son, his God eternal, always being and always will be, and that everything which is made is made through him. Father, these words are amazing, and I'm sure we do not get it fully. But help us this day in the hearing and in the preaching of your word to go further in our knowledge of him. That we would no longer be counted as those who do not know him, but that we would know him. And that we would be with him. And that we would dwell together with you forever by the power (coughs) of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
Recently, Jennifer was giving a tradition that she and her family has done, and I know many other families do this as well sometimes, or maybe not many, but I've heard of others, and I would say that there's probably a decent number of families that do this during Christmas, that they do some kind of singing of happy birthday to Jesus. In many sense, that may seem a little trite and and minuscule to think of, but we know that during this time in which we come together and celebrate Christmas, that it is about his birth, about his incarnation, about him being a baby. And just like we would at any kind of other birthday party, we sing happy birthday. And at those particular birthday parties, we often like to reminisce. We like to reminisce about um, what it was like when the baby was born. And often in those conversations, we also talk about what things were like before the baby was born. Sometimes the moments leading right up to it or, or what it was like anticipating the baby or hoping for the baby. Um, I know for Knox that it was our third child after having two girls. We were hoping for a boy and, and um, the doctor said he knew. And, and um, I think we decided, we decided to go ahead and find out, didn't we? So. Uh, Right. We, we, first, we told the doctor we didn't want to know, but then it, the, the interest overcame us. And, and there's all kinds of stories, and we think about that from each birthday to the next. And, and with Jesus' birth, it's in some respects, it's not any less than that. It's definitely a, a whole lot more than that in the birth of Jesus Christ. But it's important for us to think about the person of Jesus Christ, as here we are in the Advent season We are anticipating Christmas. We're looking forward to Christmas and very much like we're looking forward to the birth of Christ. A lot of our hymns, they can almost be confusing for people who maybe who are outside like the song we just sang today. Jesus Christ was born today. Well, he wasn't born today. We were just singing a song reminiscing about the time that he was born about and kind of entering into the same proclamation and praise of that particular time. Um, we are remembering his birth. We're remembering him coming into the world. But it's important for us to also to remember the person. Often during birthday parties, we'll think about the, pers- the characteristics of the person. We'll talk about things that they're doing, little maybe quirky things that they have about them, or things that we really like about them, and, and things that we remember about the person themselves. And we want to do honor and justice by talking about these people in a, in a right way. So even more so on this birthday of Jesus Christ, where we are celebrating the most magnificent birth ever, the most magnificent man, God, the centerpiece of all creation, it is so very essential and important for us to remember who he is and to proclaim and talk about his characteristics. Because it is there where everything is pivotal. That what we believe about Jesus Christ is everything for our ability to being able to celebrate faithfully. There are a lot of people who believe in Jesus Christ, who believe he existed and that he was a human being, but if they had the wrong view of understanding him and what his name means, then they do not get to be, as we have in this passage, to have the right to be called the children of God. 
So it's important for us to remind each other, just like in the confession of faith that we do right before this sermon begins, it is an opportunity for us to confess together what we believe, but it's also we are reminding each other, we are teaching each other, we're catechizing each other. That particular question today is a catechism. It's a systematic way of training people what we believe that the Bible teaches. And then next year, we're actually going to go through the whole Heidelberg Catechism, each question, each Sunday, 52 questions throughout the 52 weeks of 2024. We're going to make as our confession of faith, not only a proclamation of who he is, but we're going to remind each other who he is and what he has said in his word. And so Christmas, as I've mentioned in the past in other conversations, is like a catechism. That's the reason why it's a good thing for us. But we want to get the answers right. We want to get the answers right about who Jesus Christ is. And the book of John, in this particular passage, is one of the most amazing proclamations about who Jesus Christ is. As we celebrate his birth, we want to get it right. Because there's hope in the truth about Jesus Christ. And if we get the truth wrong, or if we get the proclamation wrong, and then there's reason to lose hope. There's reason to give up and to be overwhelmed by the darkness of not only what's in the world, but even the darkness that's in our own heart. And in the darkness that we many fear that comes with death. So here in the very first passage, we see here that in the beginning was the word. John is one to use more metaphorical language than maybe the other gospel writers. And so we see a lot of imagery with John. We see him highlighting light. We have him highlighting bread. And we have him here talking about word. But it's essential for us to understand that though it is metaphorical, it is not just metaphorical, that it is much more than metaphorical, that God is word, that there is something here that's very important for us to understand about the centrality of word. And in many older English translations, it actually says that in the beginning was the speech. Um, I was reading some older English translations from actually the French um, and it would use the word speech. It's this proclamation. It is very much this word. And so the Greek word that we have here that's in the original writing from John is logos. Now, logos goes very deep and has a much deeper meaning than just simplicity, the words that are coming out of my mouth or words that are written on a piece of paper or even speech that comes out of our mouth or language for the particular Greeks of that time and throughout much of Greek history, logos was meaning reason, logic, order, and harmony. You'll hear me make this phrase a lot where I'll say that something is no less than this, but it's much more. It's the same kind of thing here that when we hear the word logos and we think about it as in the person of Jesus Christ, that yes, the person of Jesus Christ is the epitome of reason and logic and order and harmony, 
But it's not restrained to that. This is not a metaphorical language that the person of Jesus Christ is really some kind of lofty idea or philosophical concept of just these particular things. But this is about a person that also embodies the epitome of all reason, logic, and order and harmony. When we think about the nativity scene, we think about Jesus as a little baby. And of course, babies, they just do something to us. You know, they, they can do both, stress you out, but they also just kind of put you in this sense of warmth. And, and we often like to, to even proclaim little baby Jesus. And, and, and in some respects, I don't want to push against that too much because I think it's very important for us to, rem, to be reminded that the God of the universe became a little baby named Jesus of that, a very common name at that time. But and I think for many people, though, in an evangelical world today, we stop our understanding of him in that. And people even joke today that I don't want to sin against little baby Jesus. And they kind of make him like a cute cartoon because of it. When we see here in this first verse here that in the beginning was the word that here we have in the beginning was the Logos. Here was the epitome of all reason, logic, and order, and harmony that embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, that he was there at the beginning because the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. That's huge. We could probably do a sermon series if we had the discipline and the attentiveness. We could do a sermon series on that particular proclamation all year next year and we wouldn't do it justice. These are powerful words because it's, a, it's teaching us that this one who is going to come in the flesh in this particular narrative, the one that we're celebrating, that he is God. But we see also that he is separate from God because he is with God. So we see that he is separate from God the Father, but that he is God himself. Here we have much of our understanding of the Trinity and the distinctions of the person of Jesus Christ. That he's separate, but the same. He's homoousius, which is what a word that Maharus preached on last Sunday. But that he is a different person of the Godhead. These are huge proclamations that the first few hundred years of Christendom had to work this out and getting their head wrapped around it. That it was at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD that the church brought bishops together, which was all the known bishops of the Christian world at that time, to come together in Nicaea to talk about what this really means. There were some who believed that he was God and some who believed that he was not God. In fact, this time of the year, I love this time of the year being the fact that when I see all these images of that little jolly guy in the red suit with the white beard, 
That that was that is a cartoon um, interpretation of a man who really exists named Saint Nicholas. And Saint Nicholas was a bishop that was called to the Council of Nicaea in 325. And he was one of the men who came to talk about the person of Jesus Christ. And so those of you who have children or grandchildren, when you see these people, these little cartoon characters of the jolly Saint Nick, you can tell them and you might freak them out. Saint Nicholas is real. He was a real person. And according to our belief in eternal life and that the fact that St. Nicholas was a Christian man, St. Nicholas is alive today. So St. Nicholas is real. And he did have a traditional history of knowledge that he was one who was very benevolent and that he would help the downtrodden, that he would help the poor. And then he gave gifts and he helped He helped prostitutes. He helped people who were considered to be outcasts in their communities. But he was also a very theologically astute and a man of God's word. And when he went to the council of Nicaea, he encountered a man named Arius who did not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. And there is a legend that's held to today that somewhere in that dispute that he actually punched Arius. And so that's an accepted thing. I don't know, it's not scripture, but it is something that is considered to be a a truth of Christian history, that he took it so seriously that Jesus was God, that Jesus is God, that he is Logos, that he's the embodiment of God while being separate from God the Father, that he lasted before all things came to pass as earth and all things that are created, that it was through him that things were created. So in this passage, we learn four particular things that I hope that you come away with today. That God, that Jesus Christ, that this little baby Jesus that we are celebrating, the birth that we are often coming back and having this birthday party for, which is a a good and right thing for us to do. I don't think the Bible commands us to have Christmas. I don't think that churches are unfaithful if they don't celebrate Christmas. I think it's hard whenever the whole world is moving in that direction to go against it. I've tried as a family one time not to really celebrate it, and it didn't work out very well, and it realized how foolish it was and I had to turn back in my ways and actually celebrate it. But I wanted to celebrate it rightly. I wanted to celebrate it in a way that would bring honor to Jesus Christ so that as we go through this, that we must remember that this little baby Jesus that was born and put in a manger, that number one, that he was called God, he was called Logos, that he was the Word. And that he was in the beginning. Number two, that he was eternal. That he's eternal both in both directions. Not just eternal like us, because we are eternal. But we had a beginning. We had a creation. There are some people who believe that Jesus started when he was conceived. But here we have that he existed before all things were made. He's eternal in both directions. It is so important for us to realize that he did not enter into the scene at his conception and his birth. 
Not like us, where we, maybe the idea of us existed, but when we were conceived, we had a beginning. Jesus had not the beginning. So he was word, he was logos, he is eternal. And number three, he is creator. He, it is through him, it is through him in which all things were made. He was involved in the creation of everything. So this puts a, a big difference in how we view this little baby in a manger, that he is the word embodied, he is eternal in both directions, and he actually made all things. And we've already read in the scripture reading today that the world did not know him, even though he made the world, it did not recognize him. And it's important for us that now that we have this proclamation in John, that we try to put our mind around it as we celebrate Jesus this time of the year. And as we go further here, it says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We see this where John has merged this light and life together. We see John throughout, if you take a study of the book of John, and we're not going to be preaching on John throughout the whole year. Next year, we'll finish it up in the first part of January. But if you ever wanted to take a study of John, an in-depth study of John, you will see how he will go back to to proclaiming about how Jesus Christ is light. And it goes much deeper than I can even go in to this morning. But bearing this kind of combination of both life and light, that Jesus Christ is that light that shines in the darkness. He is that life that's in men. Not only does he bring forth light, life to all men, he's also the light and life for men in the darkness. Now, the language that we see here is a parallel to what we see in creation. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, well, in the first two verses, we see that the earth was without form. It was, with, it was void, and it was dark, and that the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of the earth. And then it says in verse 3, and it's important that we look at this and we... we, we both we want, to, we want to merge John 1 with Genesis 1 here, where it says in verse 3 in Genesis 1, it says, And God said, we want to go this very slowly, And God said, He spoke, He, Logos, he, the speech that came forth from His mouth, He said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. We want to see it for what it is on the surface there, that when God created the world, he created it with speaking it into being. We want to see that simplicity. And we want to see that when he created, he created light by speaking it into the darkness. There's, it's not ever less than that. God spoke, light was created. He, when he created all things, he spoke it into being. He used his speech to create all things that there is. And when he created light, he created light that penetrated the darkness. It doesn't say that he created the darkness. 
But he spoke light into the darkness and created light into the darkness. We see that language and we know that there's really even more going on there in the power of God's word and, and what's going on in teaching us about light into darkness. And we get to see that manifested a little more clearly when we come to John 1, that when in the beginning the word is that light. We see that when God spoke this logos, he is now the word who is Jesus Christ is coming into the darkness of the world. And the darkness is not just a void, shapeless earth. It is the darkness of sin. We see that there's something much more deep going on now. That it's connecting the creation with recreation. It's showing how the very same person of Christ is not only the hope of creation, but it is now the hope of salvation of all creation. The word there in Hebrew for light is or. It means simply to illumine the sun or the moon or to shine or to kindle. But it's also very similar to the word logos and the Greek word for light, phos which is knowledge and enlightenment. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, both in Genesis and in the book of John, that there's this merger of the, the very simple nature of what's going on is that we see that here as light and word are being all connected to Jesus Christ, that it is the simplicity of creation, but in recreation and in full depth, we know that in the person of Jesus Christ is this knowledge, this enlightenment, this understanding as opposed to ignorance. It is this hopefulness of life in the midst of death and emptiness. There's so much being said here that in that, these few little verses that this little baby Jesus is all of these things. This is who he is. And it's important for us to be reminded of this. Ten years ago, the Pew Research Center did a survey of Americans and asked if they believed in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. A doctrine that is very dear to the Christian faith. And I was kind of surprised by the answer. There was 75, approximately 75, I think it may have been 78, I can't remember exactly, maybe it was 78% of the Americans that were interviewed said that they do believe in the virgin birth. Actually, you need to consider all of the craziness in the world, you would think that seems like a pretty high number. Among the people that were interviewed, it was mostly young white men who were the ones who did not accept it as much. It was interesting that I think among um, the African Americans, those who are black, it was 90%. And then the Latinos, it was a little higher than what the white men, and then mostly women believe it, but young white men did not hold to that particular doctrinal position. 
And it seems like a very simple thing, and it's not something that's talked a whole lot about in Scripture, but as we see in the prophecies of Isaiah, and then in the fulfillments of that prophecy, both in Matthew and in Luke, it is essential because it is essential to understanding the deity of Jesus Christ. The not being an actual physical son of Joseph, in which the line of men is corrupted, that Jesus Christ is separate from sinful man. He's both man but separate from sinful man in which he is not of corruption. It is the wisdom of God that this is possible, that God was able to save his people by sending his son who was full deity in God and existed from beyond the beginning of all creation was able to merge this this chasm that had been put in place due to sin by a virgin birth, a virgin conception of Jesus Christ, where it says in the book of Matthew and, and in the book of Luke, it was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now our minds... Cannot, I, don't, I don't think any of our minds can possibly fully wrap around that reality. But for the 25% or so who have denied that truth, they are denying the things that are all being said here in this first portion of the book of John. You cannot rightly hold to Jesus Christ and deny the virgin birth. You cannot rightly hold to Jesus Christ and deny his deity. Because what happens is, is that you then bring down Jesus Christ to just a good man who came here to teach us how to live morally. There are a lot of moral teachers out there. There are a lot of good moral teachers out there. And Jesus was definitely the best moral teacher ever in the history of mankind, but do you really think that we would actually now get, our our year is 2023, we're about to go into 2024, would we mark our calendar for these last 2024 years just because of the, the nice things that Jesus taught? I wouldn't think so. It would be that he would be a little bit of a crazy man who acknowledged his own deity by saying that he and the Father are one. But then to go around teaching, I mean, that's the reason why the Pharisees wanted to kill him is because he kept alluding to himself as God, that he was the fullness of the Father. And so he wasn't really, if he was not God, then he was a lunatic (laughs) and he was a liar wouldn't be a reason for us to be celebrating his birth here 2,023 years later. No, the reason why we celebrate Jesus Christ is because he is these very things that we see in this passage of John 1. John says in chapter 5, verses 25 through 29, It says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Here John is proclaiming about the Son of God, proclaiming about Jesus Christ, that it is those who will hear this word. Now it's not just those who are hearing the word proclaimed, but who will hear and receive. Just as he says in the very beginning of this book that he wrote, it says that those who believe have the right to become the children of God. He brings it up to the fullness of what it means to have, that Jesus Christ is the life and the light, that he is going to bring resurrection of life to those who believe that he is God, that he is God in the flesh, that he is God in the flesh who has come as the Lamb of God to be the sacrifice because of our sin. What we must understand is that there is power in the word proclaimed. There is power in the word of Jesus Christ's life, but also his teaching, and that it is how he brings forth life unto us is that he proclaims the word about himself as being the God of hope, the God of life and light. What we see in this passage is that this little baby Jesus that we're celebrating has power. We see that Jesus Christ is power and has power in of himself because he is the deity, the son of God who has lasted eternally. But we also see the power of his word that it is very important for us to see the synonymous connection between the person of Jesus Christ to also be the word that God so cherishes his very word. Now, I'm still mesmerized about that. I still don't have my mind fully behind that. But that's why we put so much stock in understanding his word. That God creates, recreates, enlivens, enlightens, saves through the power of his word. So this particular passage teaches us the power of Jesus Christ the power of his word, but the power of believing his word. That there's something going on with us when we believe. John ends his book, his account of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in these words. These are the last words that John tells us. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The full purpose of the book of John is to proclaim to you the reality of Jesus Christ so that you may live and that you may have life in his name. And so therefore, the word 
is written to proclaim about the word who proclaimed himself to be the word, the very word of God. And that those who believe have life in his name. So as we celebrate Christmas this year, it is very important for us to remember who we are celebrating. That should do two things for us. It should elevate our celebration of Christmas. It should elevate it because we are understanding more and more. The more that we're in his word, it should become an amazing thing. It is the greatest thing in the world that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and became man. But it's just a component of the fullness of who he is. Not that he just became man, but that he is the son of God that existed forever. And he did teach us and he did miracles and he taught us and he gave us those miracles, just like we see John saying here, so that you may believe in him. Because what he is, is the lamb of God who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. But he didn't just die on the cross as a martyr of good teachings. He didn't come and just teach us good things and how we should live our life on this earth. He came to teach us about the reality of God and the purposes of his creation. And he came to die for our sins so that we may have access and to dwell with him. He came in flesh so that we may be in flesh eternal with him in eternal life. So when he died, he also rose again. And his name is Christ because he is the Messiah and he is the king. And he has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Our celebrations of holidays are catechismic, I don't know if that's even a word, celebrations and festivals of the most important thing in our lives, that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, and that he ascended into heaven and sent forth his Holy Spirit to his church at Pentecost to take over the world. And so when we begin this historic, you know, and some places don't, and some churches don't celebrate, and that's fine as long as they're teaching it, and as long as they're celebrating it in different ways in their, in their worship. We celebrate it actually every Sunday when we come here, and we take this physical bread, and we take this physical cup, and we celebrate by coming to the table. We are celebrating Christmas we're celebrating the ministry of Jesus Christ. We're celebrating resurrection. We're celebrating um, ascension. And we are celebrating eternal life at the great, wonderful marriage feast of Jesus Christ all in one moment when we do that. But let us not diminish because there shouldn't even be 25% that, don't, that do not know about the deity of Jesus Christ. I would say maybe in the last 10 years that number has actually gone down. And maybe some people believe in the virgin birth that they still don't get the grasp or an understanding of that Jesus is deity. So let us not forget to bring this up. These may be like, you know, I've heard this every year. I hear this over and over again. Well, good. It's important for us to keep hearing it over and over again. Because it is in that reality that these particular passages 
have any meaning. Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Luke 1, 32 through 33. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Luke 2, verses 11 through 14. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he has pleased. Peace. Peace among those in whom he has pleased is only possible if he is also the Lamb of God, if he is also God himself becoming the sacrifice for mankind. When we see here in this last verse of my focus tonight, today, In verse five, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There is tremendous hope in that, that Jesus came to save us from our sins, that Jesus came as God, the son of God, to reign over the house of Jacob, to reign over the whole earth. He came to bring forth peace in the midst of darkness. We live in a very dark time, and in many respects, it seems to be getting darker. I don't believe that overarching in the history of mankind that it truly is becoming darker in the sense of diminishing the light. I think in this season, we are experiencing a more intensity of that darkness, but I believe that in the midst of that, just as Jesus came at a very dark time, He is still illumining his light. He is still saving his people. And in fact, he is intensifying the growth of his church, even in the midst of the darkness. We have a promise here in verse five that the darkness has not, will not, and cannot overcome the light of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we must encounter him with acknowledging the darkness. It it doesn't say that the light shines brighter in, in the light day as it already is light. It says the light shines in the darkness. We must acknowledge the darkness. We must be thankful for the light and the life that comes through it. Let us pray.